God, we're thankful that you have saved us. We're thankful that you you teach us, and I pray that this would um, be much more than head knowledge. I pray that this would sink into our bones, into our marrow. That this would change the way that we live, and that this would cause us to love Jesus more. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So I've set my alarm. So we end on time. Okay, so we're going through the order of salvation, the ordo salutis. So God has been very intentional about how he has called us, chosen us, how he's shaping us. And uh, so we went through effectual calling, regeneration, faith, repentance, justification, and sanctification. So in all the previous actions, all these other uh, points within the order, God has been doing all the work uh but today we come to sanctification, and this is where we come in. So the question we, we ask is, if we really believe that God does all the work in our salvation, soli deo gloria, to God alone belongs all the glory, then why should we do anything? What part do we play? And this is where sanctification comes in. So I've got eight, uh, yeah, I've got around eight points today. So we're going to have to push through them really quickly, but... Uh, we're going to try to cover as much as we can. So let me define sanctification. Sanctification is the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. And I define sanct- sanctify here, uh, set apart, to set apart. So when we say that we are being sanctified, when we say that we're going through sanctification, we're saying that we are setting ourselves apart. We're saying that there was... Here, here is old me before I became a follower of Jesus. And here is new me, who God has intended me to be. And when we're sanctified, we are being moved from one part, from one end to the other. We're being set apart, not for our own desires, not for our own preferences or our lifestyle. We're being set apart for God. We're being set apart for God. So when we were saved, there was a definitive break in who we were. And now we are headed to a destination. So sanctification is the process of separating. So notice, when I say process, I'm saying it's an ongoing thing. So for as long as we have been Christians until the day that we die, this is how long the process lasts. All the other points that we've covered so far, effectual calling, regeneration, faith and repentance, justification, these were boom, 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 boom. These, they had... These had massive implications, but they were, they happened in a moment. Sanctification lasts, for some of us, it's going to be 20 years. For some of us, it's going to be 70 years. For some people, it might be three months. But it's different for everyone, the length of time. But sanctification is the process that we all go through as believers. So, let me uh, back up what I've said from Romans 8.29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confronted to the image of his son. Or not confronted, to be conformed to the image of his son. So sanctification is being conformed into the image of Jesus in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And in Romans 12, Paul, if you guys have studied the past, the, the book of Romans, it's Paul laying down the foundations for our identity. Who are we in Christ? What has God done for us? And as he moves on further through the book, Paul says, Therefore, in light of what has happened, 
this is what you should be doing. So he says in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourself, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we offer ourselves to God. We tell God, God, here is my life with all its quirks and issues and problems and strengths and weaknesses. Take it all. It all belongs to you because now I belong to you. This is who I am. So I'm going to use this word later in just a few moments. I'm going to use the word holy to be sanctified, to to live a life of sanctification means that we are to be holy. And when we hear that word, it, what comes to mind might be, oh, here, like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, right? Here is this, this happy-go-lucky guy who has no problems, and he just lives this really kind of strange life. And we think, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be holy. I need to act different. I'm going to push my views on people and make, it should make, an, uh, make them uncomfortable. And uh, I'm, I'm set apart from the world. This is not what sanctification or holiness really is. What it really is, is it's not about how we should behave or how we should perform. It's about who we belong to. Who do we belong to? So this is ultimately about a relationship, our relationship to God as not as servants of God, but as children of God. When we understand that, then we can live lives of sanctification. There is a song that's uh, this. Uh, this is one of just um, one uh, one of these uh, magazines. Like I don't know if like it's a gossip magazine or whatever. They asked Justin Bieber, what are you listening to now? And he said, the one song that I have on repeat is called No Longer Slaves. So apparently Justin Bieber is a Christian. Uh, but uh, his, his endorsement notwithstanding, this song is a great song. There are some good lines in there. So here, is, uh, here are a few lines from that song. You have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. And I love that line, your blood flows through my veins. When we belong to God, our relationship with God is, He is in us. We have the identity of Christ. The blood of Jesus flows through our veins. And that affects how we live. That's beautiful. So that is the uh, just a quick definition overview of sanctification. I have here the Westminster Confession of Faith. You can read this on your own. But just so you guys know, the Westminster Confession of Faith is what our church subscribes to. If you want to know what we as a PCA church hold to, the Westminster Confession of Faith is the articulation of all things that we believe as a church. So you can read that on your own. Uh, so, the need for sanctification. Uh, can I have someone read these three verses? Uh, can, let me get a volunteer. Uh, Michelle, let me, let me have you read the first Peter 1.16, please. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Great. And uh, Hebrews? Strive for the holiness which no one will see the Lord. Okay. And one more. Thank you. 
Why do we need to be holy? Why do we need to live lives of sanctification? Number one, because this is who God is. God is holy. And when we say that God is holy, what comes to mind for some of us, I know this is how I think a lot of times, when when we say that God is holy, I think God is a better version of us. God is like human 3.0 because he's far beyond whatever goodness we can be. Uh, but this is not what holiness really is. God is not just a better version of us. He's not just us, uh, the epitome of of human goodness. God, when we say that God is holy, we're saying that God is completely different. There is no category for us to put God into. We can't even we can't even fathom what God is like. But in His goodness, He's, he, he's given us His Word to reveal Himself a little bit of Himself to us. But when we, when we say that God is holy, we're saying that he is so above and different from what we know of reality. And God says, you are to be holy just as I am holy. So to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus is not just to be a better version of ourselves. And I need to reiterate that because so often we think, oh, we're going to church now. Here are a list of rules. I need to be better but to be a Christian is not to be a better version of ourselves. It's to be a completely different person. In First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, it, it says that those who are in Christ are what new creations, we're new creatures. Whatever we were before, that old thing, that old person, is completely dead. I am no longer trying to be a better version of this sinful dead self. I'm going to be completely different so this is the basis for our sanctification number one that god is holy number two can i have um one person read these two verses volunteers thank you Thank you. These are amazing passages because it's God telling us we belong to him. So again, I said earlier, when we talk about living lives of sanctification, it's not about behaving better. It's about who we belong to. And God is saying here specifically, you, follower of Jesus, you belong to me. Everything that you are, everything that you own belongs ultimately to me. So... When we get to this point, we think, well, aren't we saved by grace? Why do we need to live differently? Why do we need to follow the rules that God has laid down for us? When we, when, when we live lives of holiness and sanctification, what it is, is it, it's us living as God truly intended us to be. So God has created all of us for a purpose. God has created all of us with, um, characteristics that when we sin we we cover it up we we disfigure ourselves by sinning we um in a very real sense we dehumanize ourselves when we sin when we do things that god has said we shouldn't do he's not saying it he's not giving us rules just so that we can 
prove to him that we love him. We sometimes think of God's commands as a test. Like, if you really love me, this is how you're going to show me that you're going to love me, by living these living this way. And in a sense, if you read 1 John, it actually says that. But it's far more than that, is it not? Uh, when God tells us you are to live this way, he's saying, I'm giving you this, these commands because I've created you to live like this. By living like this, you are fulfilling your 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 created intended purpose you are becoming more human you're becoming more free when we sin we're stripped of our humanity and dignity when we do not sin when we live according to god's commands we are rehumanizing ourselves we are we are the dignity that god has created created us with that is being restored so when we live in light of our relationship with god we are being who God has intended us to be, and we are. We see life, we see reality, we see ourselves as it really is. So sin distorts that. Living lives of disobedience, that distorts who we really are. Okay? Uh, before we go on, any questions, comments? All right, let me go on. So the next page, definitive sanctification. I'm going to make the distinction between definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. So last week, Michael spoke about justification. And justification is this incredible, incredible concept that, as far as I know, is unique to the Christian faith. What justification is, is God declaring us righteous and holy and innocent. It's a legal standing what definitive sanctification is, and I'm going to talk, I'll talk about this uh, in more detail just a little bit later, but if justification is our legal setting before God, definitive sanctification is experiential. C- consider, put yourself in the, uh, in the courtroom, and I, Christine and I weren't here for uh, the study last week. We were um, at another church last week in Southern California, but... Um, can, uh, Michael might have used this scene, the courtroom scene. Did he did he use that at all? He did use the courtroom scene. When we're justified, God is de- le- declaring us legally innocent. Now, definitive sanctification is us holding on to that, saying like, yes, I am innocent, and now I'm going to walk out of the courtroom, I'm going to walk into the street, and I'm going to live in light of that. So definitive sanctification is the freedom we have after we've been declared innocent, after justification. So let's flesh this out a little bit. Um, I'm not going to read all the verses just for the sake of time, but can I have, um, Tub, can I have you read John 15, 3 on page 2? All right, thanks. And can I have you skip down two verses and read, or two, uh, skip First uh, Corinthians and go on to Romans 15? Yeah. I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, so that uh, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Actually, can I have you read First Corinthians as well, second part?
All right. Awesome. This is what definitive, definitive sanctification is. Through the work of Jesus, we are definitively, finally, completely sanctified. We are made clean. We, we are set apart for God. This has happened already. This is definitive sanctification. So this means, in a very practical sense, that the power of sin in our lives is broken. It means that we no longer need to sin. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist in our lives. It doesn't mean that we aren't tempted by things. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. But it means that because we are new creatures, we do not have to sin. And there's so many so many people that are, are so discouraged because they think, I'm never going to get over the sin. I'm never going to be able to fight it. I'm always going to be held under its power. It could be temptations. It could be addiction. And I'm not discounting how difficult life is and how whatever it is that we, we, we cling to, how powerful that can be. But definitive sanctification says that you no longer live under that power. It may have power, some power over you, but it doesn't have ultimate power. We're no longer slaves. Sin has no power over us, no ultimate power. It might have some power, it doesn't have ultimate power, and we don't, we don't need to be dictated by sin. So I don't have Romans 6 printed out for you here, but if later, when you get a chance, read through Romans 6, verses 1 through 11, and it talks about this very thing, that we're no longer held under the power of sin. So the basis of our life, do you remember uh, in different places in the New Testament, it says that we are buried with Christ. It means that our old sinful selves are buried with Christ and we are resurrected along with Christ. We have the resurrection power in us and this can fight this powers of sin and death and what has held us before. So uh, Definitive sanctification is the ground we stand on to fight for progressive sanctification. And I have a quote here uh, at the bottom by Michael Horton. He, he says, The tyranny of sin over your life has been topped. Therefore, do not live as though this has not happened. There is, this is one of my favorite movie illustrations to use, and I use it maybe once every 18 months. I think I'm just about done using it because I've used it so much. But have you guys seen the movie Blood Diamond? Blood Diamond is a movie about the the diamond trade. Uh, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, and um, there's this one scene. Uh, I don't. Have you guys? There's this the actor that co-stars with Leonardo DiCaprio. His name is Digimon Honsu. Uh, if you if you um, have watched any of his movies, he's this super classy guy. Like you just look at him and you think that guy has gravitas. I just want to be around that guy. Anyways, he plays the father of of, of a family, and his. If you know the story, the there are rebels, there are bad guys that that take over villages, and they t- they take they take the women and the children, and they they turn the children into children child soldiers, soldiers eight nine ten years old that will kill other people for the cause of the bad guys, um, and what they do is they take the the fathers, the able-bodied men of the village, and they will turn them into slaves, and they spend every single day digging for diamonds. Well, the, this character, I, I forget, forget his name. Uh, I'll just call him Jimon, which is his real name. He escapes, and he, fa- he runs across his son, 
and he look he, he finds his son he's with all these other child soldiers and he sneaks up onto him and his son is holding a gun toward him and it's this really dramatic scene and the son it's as if he doesn't recognize who his father is he points a gun towards his father about to kill him because this is he's escaped from uh, his job and he should not be here his father looks his son in the eye and he says son son don't you remember that I'm your father? You come from a village. You love to go to school. Your mother loves to cook for you. You love to play with the family dog. He's looking at his son in the eye as the gun is being pointed in his face. And he says, my son, I love you. I love you. You are my son. This is not who you are. And you can see as the scene goes on, his son He's slowly crumbling. There are tears in his son's eyes because he remembers who he is. He puts the gun down and he goes off and escapes this, the, 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 the bad guys. This is what definitive sanctification is, is us realizing who we belong to. It's us realizing that sin has no ultimate power over us. It's our father telling us, this is not who you are. You are someone different. Therefore, live like it. And this is what this quote by Michael Horton says. So because we are holy, I have this uh, in italics, because we are holy, because we've been definitively sanctified, therefore we are to be holy. This is who you are, therefore live like it. Okay, so this brings us to our next point, progressive sanctifications. And I have this this passage from Acts 20.32. It says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This last word in this verse, sanctified, if you're into grammar, uh, some of you may be, uh, you may know that there are these different ways of describing words. Sanctified, if we go back to the Greek of this text, Sanctified, it's, uh, the Greek word is agies menos, menos, and, uh, it's a perfect passive participle. Perfect passive participle. And what this means is when it says that we're sanctified, like Paul says here in Acts, it says that this is a completed, finalized past activity that has continuing results. So when we're sanctified, it's happened to us already, but Something continues to happen to those who have been sanctified. So uh, progressive sanctification means that for the rest of our lives, we live in light of that truth. So I have this out. We have, I have two points here. Number one, sanctification is synergistic. And number two, we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. So can I have a volunteer read Philippians 2? Thank you. I thought that God did all the work in our salvation. Is that not true? Then why does this passage say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? What's going on here? What it is, is this verse is saying, you've been saved already. Now work out that salvation. Pull out the implications of our salvation. When I say, I use the word, the word, um, oh, there, here. A 
few works, a few weeks ago, I used the word monergism or monergistic, and this means that there's one person mono, one person doing the work. God has done the work of saving us. God has done all the work necessary to save us. Synergism, what do you think synergism means? More than one. Uh, In this case, two people are involved. We cooperate. We work alongside. Cooperate. If you guys like to break down words, co means we operate alongside. We are working alongside God in light of what he's done for us. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We do, and I'll, I'll, I'll show it, I'll um, point out how we can work alongside God. But sanctification is synergistic. This is where we come in in the process of salvation. We are saved, therefore it's our duty, it's our responsibility, it is our privilege to pull out the implication of what it means to be saved. In First Thessalonians, God sa- or Paul says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will do the work in us, but don't neglect the word. Don't neglect the concept of Him doing the work in us, meaning in our minds and in our bodies and in our jobs and in our relationships. It's in the muck of our lives that God does His work. It's a beautiful thing because it means that there is no aspect of our life that God does not touch. In Ephesians. Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. Within us. God does his work in us. Uh, and then our next point. We are not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. Now that we are saved, we can live good lives. The, every other major religion says, well... In order to be accepted, in order to be right, you are to live like this. The gospel says, it's flipped upside down. It says, because you've been accepted, because you are made right, now you're free to live as dignified human beings with the image of God restored in you. And you can do far, far more than if you were just told, if you don't do this, something bad is going to happen to you. You're going to hurt real bad. No, it says that we have been treated so well by God. And people that that understand that, their lives look different. I want to make a uh, side note right here. There are some people that say, at some point you're going to be able to live a life of sinless perfection. And uh, back a few decades ago, this was popular enough that people uh, some people believed it uh, some people still do they say that you know if you are a Christian you should be able to get to the point where you'll never sin again and there were people that would say I'm 60 years old now and I figured out I haven't sinned in like 7 months guys this is what God has done well um, I don't think it takes much for us to see that just looking at my own life that probably doesn't work out and we'll talk about our struggle with sin in just a few moments but before we go on any thoughts questions I have a question yes so for the Philippians verse the first point under sanctification mm-hmm. to work out your own salvation can you elaborate more on why fear and trembling is a part of that yeah um, this is a 
uh, story that I don't like to tell because it sounds really, really terrible. Uh, and it may sound overly dramatic, but um, when I was about nine or ten years old, my parents were at a at a um, uh, it was like a PTA meeting or something at school. This was uh, in the early evening, and um, I knew where my dad kept his guns, and he had a, a, a revolver. And I was with my brother in the hallway, and I said, "It's awesome! Here's a gun." I loaded the I loaded the uh, the the chamber. I pulled, I cocked the gun back, and I realized I've made a huge mistake. And I, even as a kid, I knew that this was really, really, really bad. Um, so I really, really gently, gingerly um, released. If you know how guns work, this is super dangerous. I put, I pulled the cock, I, I uncocked it, and then when I did that, I felt a fear that I have never felt before. It wasn't the fear of my parents because I've never told them this. I don't have no plan, so please don't talk to my parents. Um, it wasn't the fear of me being punished, and it wasn't the fear of me being shot in the face because that danger was gone. But I felt a fear that I have never, ever, ever felt before because I realized how close I came to death. I, seriously, I could have shot myself in the face. I could have shot Harry in the face. Um, everything would have turned upside down for our entire family. Uh, I was fearful and I trembled at that point. Not that's my ten minute warmer, ten minute warning. Um, fear and trembling. Uh, this may not be the perfect analogy, but uh, we are we no longer as believers in Christ. We no, no longer have to fear condemnation. We don't have to fear his wrath, but we live in light of, of the, the, the greatness of God. And God could crush us at any moment, right? We, we're, we're not going to be crushed because we are safe from that. But it's instilled in us if we truly understand what we're saved from. As believers, we are saved from eternal wrath and damnation. That should scare anyone, even if we never have to face it. Um, but we, we live in light of the, the gravity of what's at stake. Uh, there, there's so much on the line. Um, so, so God has saved us from that. But now we live in light of what we've been saved from. And uh, so this is just a very short. If we pull it out more, um, we could say a lot more. But um, does that kind of answer your question? Somewhat, okay. What you're saying is it's a reverence. It's it's a it's a reverence, um, but not like uh, not, not fear in front of a criminal, but fear in front of something beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys may be able to come with your own analogies or illustrations, but that's my <laughs> illustration. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, it's a fearful reverence, um, not fear that you're in danger, but just when you're in front of something big. And that you don't understand fully, you should be scared. Uh. Um, I just I wanted to write that quote down. When you said um, sanctified, you said it was a completed activity with. Oh, it's um, it's a uh, completed activity with a continuing result. That's the pass perfect passive participle. Okay, let me go on. I want to make sure that we cover as much as we can before we. Uh, 
close off. The means of sanctification. I'm going to go through this section uh, kind of quickly. Um, how do we? How how should we live um, in light of this command to be sanctified? And God says, "I'm holy, therefore you be holy." There are two sides to this coin. Can I have a? Um, can I have a volunteer read two verses from this? Eric, can I have you read Colossians 3 first? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Thank you. And can you have uh, read Romans 8? For if you live according to the, to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right. Mortification. A mortician is someone who... Uh, they they take in dead bodies and they they figure out what what what's going on. I guess there's not much going on in a dead body, but uh, mortification. This is one aspect of sanctification. How do we live sanctified lives? There are things in us. We have desires. We have preferences. We have lifestyle choices, habits. These things need to die in us because what they do is they distract us. They they pull us away from what God has called us to. So. We need to put to death, Paul says, put to death the deeds of the body. So the Christian life is a fight. The Christian life is daily taking up the cross. It's it's killing the sin in our lives. It's it's identifying what it is that we hold on to and we say, That can't that can't be allowed in my life because my life belongs to God and God that dishonors God. It's us identifying that and saying, I'm going to find a way to kill that. I'm going to find a way to kill that. And uh, we do that by... Uh, there are practical steps you could take. Um, there's, I don't, For example, if, if your weakness is porn, there is um, software. Uh, or you might find people to be accountable to. Or uh, for other people, it might be, let's just say, alcoholism or whatever. Um you, you, you might say, I'm not going to walk past the store because I know I'll be tempted to go in there. These are very practical things. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time because I could go go on forever, but uh, mortification is one side of sanctification or one thing that we do in light of living, li- living a life of sanctification. Um, so it's, it's fighting to put things in our life to death. The other one is vivification. Can I have someone read Colossians 3, please? All right, there's mortification and there is vivification. Vivification means to bring to life, or when someone is revived, they are revived. That is a root word for life. Bring to life the things that God once brought to life. So, Paul tells the Colossians, seek the things that are above, set your minds on things that are above that are above, not on things that are on earth. And we see in First Thessalonians, we're not going to read it, but uh, it talks about sanctification. It talks about things that we are not to do. It also talks about uh, the, 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 these practical steps in which we can take to bring to life what uh, should be brought to life. So ultimately, I think what this what this means for us is how do we 
raise our affections for Christ. You can tell someone for a thousand years, these are things you shouldn't do, and that, that'll work, but, but how do you turn them around and say, if you don't do that, if, if there's something else on the other side that is so glorious and beautiful, wouldn't you want to, to do all you can to open your eyes to whatever that thing is? Uh, if we, if we understand, and this is going to be, as I move forward to, for our last point, um, I'll, well, I'll just reveal the big ending right now. Jesus is more beautiful than anything. And if we want to see Jesus, if we want to experience Jesus, you have to bring to life, you have to raise your affections for things that are worthy of our affections. So, uh, we do this by living, by living faithfully. We do this by the means of grace. It, going to church, reading the Bible, praying. It sounds so boring, but it's in the boring details of life that our character is formed. And uh, we, 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 we live faithfully. We find out what are the things that, that the, the positives, the uh, how can I love people? How can I serve other people? How can I honor God with whatever it is that God has given me? I'm going to see what, I'm going to identify those things and I'm going to pour my energies into bringing those things to life. So um, practically it might mean uh, being around people that encourage you. It might mean reading books that's, that bring life to you. Uh, it, it's different for everyone, but find those means of grace that God uses to shape our character. Um, so, and this, uh, this is really important. We are sanctified through the Spirit. Galatians 5, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the de- desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are to live lives not of trying harder. Uh, we Sometimes we get that impression. Uh, I know that there are things I need to put to death. I know that there are things I need to bring to life. That means that I set these habits in my life. It means that I develop discipline. And we should do those things, but ultimately we have to live by the Spirit because as believers, we have to live supernatural lives. We're not going to be able to do the things that God has called us to do on our own strength. It has to be the Spirit. And this it's so easy for us to forget this because we live in a very naturalistic, humanistic culture that just kind of poo-poos the, the supernatural realm. Uh, we are to live supernatural lives, and when people look at Indelible Grace Church, when they look at the lives of you and me, they should say, I can't explain why that person lives that way. How do we live that type of life? We have to live by the Spirit. We have to live by the Spirit. Um, questions before uh, I go on for the last next six minutes. Ezra. Uh, in the last line of Galatians 5, 6, and 8, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Yeah. Is that because um, as our natures are renewed, like the law is written in us, and it's like natural to us? Yeah, uh, this is, um, I could go on an excursus of Romans where it talks about um, those that live uh, in light of the law versus those who live in light of the Spirit. Um, I'm trying to think of a quick answer. 
Um, I'm not able to think of one right now, but it's, it's there, like the new covenant, right? Yeah. They're not under external compulsion, but there is um, an inner motivation now, in, not in contrary to the law, but alongside it. Yeah. There's in Romans. There's this imagery of being married or be, having a relationship with the law versus having a relationship with um, with the gospel or uh, with the spirit. And we are, if we live by the law, we live, um, uh, the image of um, Les Miserables comes to mind. Um, Michael, like Michael said, uh, when we live by the law, we live by compulsion, we live by fear, and uh, and our motivation for doing things is different. Um, compulsion versus the spirit. The spirit gives us life. The spirit enables us not only to do the things that God has called us to do, but to love the things that God has called us to do. Um, so our our nature is changed. Our motivation is changed. Kind of answer your question. That's a really good question. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not able to flesh it out more. Um, let me go on. The distortions of sanctification. I'm going to spend like 30 seconds on this. Legalism, which says... Uh, what Michael said earlier, um, what motivates us to obey? Is it is it because we just want to have a good reputation? Is it because we want to uh, um, obey rules for the sake of obeying rules or because we think that we'll be accepted by God? The gospel says no. When we live according to the flesh, we try to live moral lives apart from the Holy Spirit. Um, but, but, the fo- but following rules, this can create disciplined people but it doesn't create changed people, people that are changed in their hearts. Legalism says that if you want to um, be a certain way, you should follow these rules. And there is virtue to following rules, but then if that is your only purpose, if that's your only reason, motivation, then that is not good enough. I have this quote by William Romain. He, uh, I think he was alive back in the 1700s. No sin can be crucified either in heart or life unless it first be pardoned in conscience. If it, is, if it be not mortified in its guilt, it cannot be subdued in its power. How do you kill sin? How do you, uh, how do you live a life that is not driven by legalism or following rules? It comes down to the heart issue. If you believe that your sin is forgiven, that, there, that you, it no longer has power over you, then you can live in light of that. Um, but you have to understand that you truly are forgiven by a source outside yourself. When you live a life of rules, you're saying that I'm going to set the standard, I'm going to keep the rules, I'm going to keep the standard, and that will lead to whatever I'm getting to. But legalism is not the way. Neither is antinomianism. Antinomianism means not following the law. We live by grace, grace, grace. If we are, if we're forgiven by God anyways, then why even bother? And Paul says in Romans six. He says, in the strongest terms, no stinking way should you sin just because you're forgiven. No stinking way. And it comes back to this. I've said this two times now. Let me let me make it three. Who do we belong to? Who do we belong to? Are we going to live according to our new nature? And what is true freedom? We People think true freedom is doing whatever we want. No, true freedom is doing what is right because God has created us for that. God has freed us to live the lives that God has created us to live. And nothing can be more humanizing and dignifying than that. Uh, okay, so that was more than 30 seconds. Uh, the, the struggle for sanctification. I'm sorry I need to 
I need to uh, fly through this. But Romans 7, this is such an amazing passage because it's so realistic. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but the flesh, with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Read through the entirety of Romans 7 and you'll see a picture of yourself. I cannot believe that I've fallen to the sin again. I cannot believe that I'm still tempted by the things I was tempted by. I can't believe that. And Paul says, this is what the Christian life is. It's fighting. And do you know who fights? Not dead people. People that are alive fight. When we were dead, no one, as dead people, no one struggles with sin. No one struggles with sin. But if we are truly changed, God gives us the power to fight. And that that fight is painful. It may last for decades, but it is a fight that we can engage in. People who are not believers, they don't fight, they don't struggle with sin. People, you know what what um, people with unchanged hearts deal with? They deal with they struggle with the consequences of sin. Um, I don't want to do that because I'm going to end up with a type of life I don't want. But for the believer, it says, "No, I'm dishonoring God with my life. That cannot be. That cannot be." So if we're struggling with sin, it means that we have enough life and enough fight in us through the grace of God. It means that God has awakened us. And um, so it's a struggle. Sanctification is a struggle. It's hard. And uh, if we live enough life, we'll realize that it's hard. Okay, the end of the end of sanctification, our last point. Second Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love this passage because you know what it says? It says, does it say, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image immediately? It doesn't say that. It says we're being changed one degree at a time, little by little. And sometimes the difference between those degrees is three years. Sometimes it's ten years. But there's a promise. Whatever work God has started in us, He's faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God promises that we're going to be changed. And this is super encouraging hope for you and for people that you're thinking of. That person is never going to change. I'm never going to change. Well, if the Spirit of the Lord is in them, they're going to change little by little by little. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, One day in glory, if you stood before this person that you had no hope for, you're going to be tempted to worship that person. You're going to be tempted to look at that person and go, how in the world are you so beautiful? Back on earth, I could not see it, but God has changed you, and God has changed me, and God is continuing. Remember, this is a continued action. God is continuing to change us, so do not be discouraged if that fight is still, if it's still so hard to turn away from sin. 
First John, behold, we are beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like Jesus. We're not just going to be better versions of ourselves in glory. We're going to be like Jesus because we shall see him as he is. This is the whole point of sanctification, is to see Jesus for who he really is. And that's going to change. John 6, But now that you have been set free from sin and and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So why should we care about sanctification? Because how much we enjoy Jesus and ultimately how much we enjoy eternity depends on how much we fight to be like Jesus in this life. If we don't care about Jesus now, we're not going to care about him for the rest of eternity. That's the truth. And unless in this life we have something to fight for, we won't have any reason to fight. So ultimately, sanctification is fighting, fighting, fighting to see Jesus for who he really is. And let me close with this story. There was a... uh, a little boy, when he was six or seven years old, he lived in a village, and he looked... Uh, he, there was a face in the mountain, and, and you know, like kind of like um, Mount Rushmore, there was a face in the mountain, except this was just kind of built into the rock. And every... Like, he would nonstop go around the, go around the village and ask people, have you seen this old man? Have you seen this old man? Um, I want to I meet this old man that's in the, in the side of the, the mountain. And he does this for years and years and years and decades for his whole life. And one day, when he's fifty years, when he's sixty years old, he 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 asks someone, "Have you seen this man in the mountain?" He spent his whole life looking for that man, and the person replies, "You are that man." He spent so much of his life looking for that man that he became that man. And this is what sanctification is: is us looking at Jesus for years and decades and one day we're going to be like him. This is really what sanctification is. It's not just living a good life. It's looking at Jesus and being transformed into his image. Okay? I'm going to close just for the sake of time, but if you have any questions, you can ask me later. Let me close. God, we want to be like so many things. We want to be successful CEOs. We want to be good mothers and fathers. We want to be good uh, husbands and wives. But that is not what you have ultimately called us to be. You've called us to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, our, 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 our brother. And I pray that you would transform us into his image and give us a deep, deep desire to be like him. And from that, may everything else flow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.